Okay, we're going. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. I'm Eric Amchak, alongside Stephen Trinkwald. Stephen, today we have a hodgepodge of, of content coming for the fans here, for, for the listeners. Uh, what's up top here? What do we got? Well, we'll start with the little news and then get into some mailbag questions. I think the big news we should uh, lead with, I guess, is the news that the Atlanta Dream have been sold to an ownership team that involves Renee Montgomery. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, she is... Let's see if I can get this right. She is the first ever former player to be both part owner and executive of a WNBA team. I believe that's correct. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. That's, uh, I'm that's very happy for Renee. We talked about how there were some pretty big things uh, ahead of her, it seems, off the court. And I guess that this qualifies as that. And um, hopefully, you know, this ownership group will be able to kind of, uh, I know the dream have been one of the teams that have, been on some shaky financial ground at, at times over their history and hopefully this can solidify that a little bit. I'm just really interested to see because th- this being the first time, uh, obviously Renee is not the the only, the sole owner or the, or the sole executive, but I'm, I'm really interested to see the, a, a former player not having such a large role in ownership before. I'm really curious to see if this is kind of like a, like a trailblazing opportunity, like if more former players are going to step forward and try to um, take the reins, if you will. I mean, it, it, she, she's not going to be the last, right? Hopefully. I would think not, especially maybe as expansion comes and, and there are more opportunities for, you know, people to get into an ownership opportunity. Obviously, there's only 12 teams now and, you know, so few uh, opportunities. But, yeah, I'd also be curious to see, you know, just how much of a stake she has in the team if she's, you know, I think there's an ownership team of three, if she's, you know, a 33% owner or I think there was one uh, majority owner of the three whose name escapes me, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, just kind of the, the stake that she has, if it's like a 5% stake in the team and she's, you know, going to be a, a spokesperson on behalf of the ownership group and, and on behalf of the league, or, uh, you know, if she's a 25% owner, I think that there's going to be a pretty interesting component to that as well. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. And, and speaking about uh, expansion, um, uh, Kathy Engelbert, I believe did see, did allude to, you know, there being expansion possible in the future. That's, that's something that fans have been clamoring for, for, for a long time, for basically forever now. Uh, how, do you think that's that's currently feasible? Because I'm not exactly sure. I think a, a slow approach, uh, maybe, you know, two teams over the next two years and then an additional two teams, maybe three to four years after that. I think the general consensus, people that are smarter than me, seem to believe that the talent pool worldwide is deep enough to kind of uh, support that over, you know, maybe that kind of longer window without watering down the, the talent pool. I think a lot of people, and, and maybe yourself included, feel like the, the bigger priority is kind of expanding rosters first. Yes. And um, making, you know, obviously that's a, a little bit of a safer bet in terms of making sure that the worldwide talent available can, can continue to play in this league and people who deserve to be WNBA players are, are not getting left off rosters because there's just not the space for them. Yeah. So I think ex- expansion would be good. I think roster expansion would also be good. Maybe, I mean, what is the idea 15 roster spots uh, on a team similar to, you know, the men's league? Well, 15, I think 15 would be a little different because uh, the, the men's league plays longer games. It's, it's 48 minutes versus 40 minutes. Um, I'm not sure how you could swing that. Like, I'm not sure if the players union would go for that. Like, the minutes would be divvied up and there'd be a lot of people not playing, but well, in, in the men's league, there's also players who are not active for a given game, right. which okay. I think would be helpful maybe for, I mean, obviously the the big thing with the WNBA that makes it so tough is that, you know, there's a hard cap. So mm-hmm. once you have, you know, 11 players, like even if there is an injury, you're looking at maybe cutting somebody or yeah. So, so it's a, it's a little bit different. It's obviously a different animal with a, a different CBA and stuff, but. And I've actually got a couple comments about, you know, upcoming, we're, we're going to talk about some news and it's, it's really crazy uh, how, the new CBA, like it's on one hand, you're getting all these vets getting paid significantly more than, than previously, which is awesome. But there are so many teams that are out there now that are going to have to go with 11 or even 10 players perhaps because, and, and you know, people who might be in the league previously, like can't get in now just because not because they're not good enough, but just because there's not enough cap space. Yeah. There, there isn't this, the space available. And this was also maybe we're kind of jumping the gun a little bit, but this is something I got into on, on Twitter a couple of weeks back when I think it was Ben Dole had just pointed out in one of his articles kind of um, that teams may be more inclined to go with rookie minimums rather than veteran minimums just because yeah. it saves them a couple of uh, 
thousand dollars and they can kind of allocate that somewhere else. And, you know, that, that might be a problem somewhere down the road where a team has to make a financial decision to go with a rookie minimum rather than someone who is going to kind of help them win in the short term and who has proven themselves and, and might be a better player and, and stuff like that. So should we get into some of the, I guess, uh, contract news that we have as well? Yeah, let's do it. There were a few uh, significant signings, I would say. Which one did you want to did you want to lead off with here? Sure. Let's start with uh, Washington. They okay. extended Ariel Atkins for two years after this coming season for 170k and 175k. Uh, she'll become a, a protected veteran on that contract. Uh, what did you think about this move? Um, I mean, I didn't expect it, but it's not exactly a shocker. Uh, I mean, I think pretty much the second Ariel Atkins started playing for the Mystics, she was going to be in their long term plans. Uh, as with most of these early extensions that we've seen, I think Atkins would have commanded max salary or at least more than she got in this extension had she become a free agent. So I think it's good business by the Mystics getting her locked up, don't you? Yeah, and similar to kind of what we talked about last week with Chicago uh, having so much to figure out next offseason, I think this is a, a good piece of business by Washington to just get one less thing sorted out now that they were going to have to figure out as she hit restricted free agency in the summer. And Atkins is, you know, she's not a traditional star player, but she's a star role player. You know, she's uh, as good of the three and D mold as you could possibly ask for in terms of, uh, she's a a great one-on-one defender, a great help defender, and she can actually provide some spacing for the star players around her. And her off the bounce game has developed a little bit over those years as well. And this gets her back onto free agency for her age 26 season. So two years, uh, about 175K or, or 170K, between the two years like this is I think a steal of a contract in a lot of ways uh, and she like you said she definitely would have commanded more in the open market it also suggests to me that they're not going to bring Latoya Sanders back next year maybe Tina Charles as well depending on how things shake out with Emma Mieseman because you know they, they signed Latoya and, and Tina both for for one year only right which is kind of interesting and they you know they have to keep their options open but at the same time if you get the chance to re-sign a player like Ariel Atkins to lock her up long term I think you have to do it particularly because next season it would have become a headache to keep her. And you look at what, what's going on with the Mystics now, like they could not afford to keep all their unrestricted free agents. And everyone's timeline is, is everyone's, you know, everyone's on a different timeline here as far as uh, signing process goes. So interesting to see what happens there. Um, but yeah, they locked up a really good player and uh, looking forward to continuing getting wrecked by Harry Adkins for many years. Yeah, and they still do have their other prized restricted free agent due to hit next offseason with Maisha Hines-Allen. Obviously, right. I think Atkins has you know a larger body of work in terms of doing it over multiple years, whereas Hines-Allen you know, has produced some pretty pretty impressive numbers her first you know, season kind of fully in their rotation. So, so we'll see how that plays out as well. Uh, let's move to Los Angeles. Shanae Agumake re-signed for two years, a veteran protected contract for 113000 the first year, a little over 116000 the second year. Any immediate reactions on the Shanae deal? I, mean, I, th- I figured it was just a matter of time before this happened. She being a, uh, she was suspended, expired, correct? She was suspended, expired, so LA had exclusive negotiation rights with her. You know, I do think she'll probably start for them, even though her contract did come in less than Amanda Zowie B. Like, I think she's a better player than Amanda Zowie B, particularly on defense, even if there is some kind of uh, spacing limitation. And as you pointed out to me uh, when you told me about the Shanae news, that this still leaves room for a full maximum, a super maximum contract for Neko Gumake. Yeah, and I think that was the key here. That that might have been what the negotiation was was about. We know Shanae wanted to play with her sister Neca, so that in mind. Oh, and also she's probably, you know, the thing about this deal, Stephen, that surprised me was that it is for two years and it is guaranteed. I thought she'd just keep kicking the can one year, one year, one year until she decided, hey, you know, I got enough going on, I, I can sustain myself without playing basketball anymore. But yeah, interesting. Um, it does leave room for Neca to send the supermax, but not much else. So. Looking at the Sparks roster, and actually, I think we have a mailbag question about this coming up, but um, I think there's going to be more movement because they've got a lot of unrestricted or not unrestricted, unprotected salaries for these veteran players that uh, might have to do some penny pinching. Yeah, well, that gets us into uh, another LA piece of news, and maybe we can just get right into the uh, mailbag question. So the Sparks also signed Simone Augustus to a training camp contract, uh, and then do you want to address the question now or should we just wait until we finish the news items? Um, let's come back to it. Let's come okay. back. To okay. It. Any thoughts on Simone coming back? I, I mean, I, I can go first, I guess. Uh, I, Not really. you know, I, I don't imagine she's going to be a huge piece of 
this team's plans this season or, or next season. You know, she had some moments playing kind of a, a small ball for for them, but I, I didn't really think she brought too much in terms of increasing their championship odds or, or anything like that. So, you know. And, and looking and looking what they did this offseason in the front court, you have to expect that's not really going to be a thing, right? That's true. They have a, a lot more options in terms of kind of proven front court players to where maybe going small is a little bit less of, uh, uh, you know, something that they'll go to. The Atlanta Dream, a flurry of activity. Yeah, they suspended the contract for the upcoming season for Maite Kazorla. Maybe she wasn't going to come over either way. Maybe they just told her, you know, if you plan on coming over, we'll, we'll probably just cut you. And, yeah. uh, so, but they signed Kayla Davis to a training camp contract. They waived Brittany Brewer and Michaela Pivik, and then they signed Shatori Walker-Kimbrough for one year, $85,000 unprotected. And then they also brought in Odyssey Sims after Sims cleared waivers. So where do you want to start with this one? Um, I mean, I think this, this Sims news was uh, a little surprising to me. You know, I liked, I really liked the Walker-Kimbrough signing. I'm, I'm assuming you did as well, because we figure the Dream need a wing player or a guard, whatever you consider Shatori to be, somebody who can shoot, someone who's got off-ball gravity. But that makes the Sims claim or the Sims signing all the more confusing. Yeah, I I mean, this one to me, like, I, I got to be honest, I'm not the biggest Odyssey Sims fan. I know you're not either, but this was still a little bit of a, a bummer to me. Like, I don't really get what Odyssey Sims does to change Atlanta's team or to change their fortune. Like, she doesn't play the three, which is maybe the one position this roster actually needs. Besides, I guess they, they did kind of need a backup point guard but she doesn't really provide any spacing around their other high-profile wing options for which they have a bunch. She doesn't really make Kennedy Carter's development any easier, at least not to the extent maybe the existing wings on their team already do. Like maybe if you want to play Carter off the ball with Sims as the backup point guard, but like those other wings aren't really providing space to kind of fully go that direction. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the other thing is, is like, there, there seemed to be, and maybe there, there just wasn't, right? Maybe no other teams called Odyssey Sims, but there seems to be, there were other situations out there where she could have made a real impact on a more competitive situation, playing at least a similar role and probably a more defined role given kind of all the backcourt options Atlanta has, which, you know, probably wouldn't be the focal point of the offense on one of those teams, but, you know, be the backup point guard and, and come in and run second units and maybe play a little bit alongside both of the starting guards in whatever situation that is. So, you know, Chicago, going back to Minnesota, even like a Seattle, you know, if she's going to take a veteran minimum, you know, uh, and they, Seattle seems to only want to give out one year deals. So <laughs> th this one just seems to be like, um, I don't know. I, I don't really get the direction of kind of what this team wants to do with their roster construction. It just seems like they're signing players just because they're available, right? It's, it, it doesn't make any sense. Like, like you said, she can't play the three. They've only got one of these like guards who can't really play the three. And that's Tiffany Hayes. I, she's got no off ball gravity or, or very little at least. And you said it, it takes minutes away from Kennedy Carter, who is the future of this team. So if it's a one year deal, I mean, okay, but how has it helped? either them winning now or, or in the future. I don't understand it. It does make me wonder, you know, if, if someone on the team is going to get traded, but the most likely candidate of that group of guards seems to be Tiffany Hayes, right? And she's their only overlapping talent there that can actually play the three. So also, and also Steven, this leaves them with no room for the first round draft pick, I believe. So I have to assume that someone, maybe Shakina Strickland is getting traded, but she's on a guaranteed salary. So I, I don't know. It's, it's a very strange situation there in Atlanta. Let's move to Dallas, where Astu Du has accepted a partial buyout. She'll continue to be on Dallas's books for the next two seasons for 108K and 111K, down from the lower maximum that she signed over the previous offseason. So this opens up a little bit over $80,000 and $85,000 on their books over the next two seasons. What did you think about this one? Like, is, is this a good move by Dallas? Uh, obviously, probably not the ideal move, but, you know, is this egg in the face or is this kind of an acceptable outcome for them? Uh, well, first impression was egg in the face because, like, she didn't play at all. She didn't really play at all last year. And when she did, she was ineffective. That's, there's no doubt about that. I, I think the partial buyout makes it make a little more sense, at least from the Wings' perspective. It's still great for Astu because, I mean, she's, she's getting paid. Um, and still bad for Dallas because they were unable to I, – I think this does mean that the Wings were not able to really trade her to anyone else 
without sacrificing a significant portion of those assets, which for both ends is understandable. No one is going to want to take on nearly $200,000 worth of a stew and boo for two years, even if it means taking a high draft pick in 2021. You know, I'm, I'm going to give the wings the benefit of doubt here and, and assume that that's what they tried to do. But man, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of cap space to be tied up. And this way, you know, she can still clear waivers because no one's claiming that contract. And she could still sign somewhere else for the vet minimum, you know. Um, however, if it turns out that they waited too long on kind of packaging these assets for a star player, as we kind of assume that they would do, that would be very, very Wings-esque. That would just make total sense from a Dallas perspective. Because we figure, you know, hey, they've got these, these bad contracts and a ton of assets that they can't possibly all use in the draft this year. They've got to either use some of those assets to – get a bad contract out of there or use some of those assets to get in a really, really good player. And so far they haven't done either. So I don't know. What do you think? This to me is not quite a disaster. Obviously it's, you know, maybe the second worst outcome that that could have happened, but uh, (laughs) you know, if, if a stew just wasn't going to kind of accept anything less than her full salary, you know, that's obviously, you know, then Dallas would really be in a bind, but now with this move and, and after the wave, of Gustafson, which we presume will happen, but obviously hasn't happened yet. Um, they will have only nine roster spots occupied with those four first round picks and the first pick in the second round as well, obviously, as we know, with a little over like $330,000 in space, which now would be enough to afford all four of their first round picks if they Yay. end up having to waive another guaranteed player without that player giving up any money as well. So essentially now there's like a 0% chance or a 0% risk that they just have to like light one of those picks on fire. You know what I mean? So in that regard, like they gave themselves enough space to sign all their picks. If they have to kind of wave another uh, player or whatever, you know, a protected veteran contract. So they would still be a little uh, over, I think three and a half thousand from a cap space perspective to afford their second round pick, but that's not the worst thing in the world. You know what I'm saying? Like what, what you didn't want to do is have these four first round picks and not even like have the threat to be able to sign all four of them. And, you know, I, as we'll get to, like, I, I don't think all four of those picks will be on the roster next year, but now if worse comes to worse, they all can be as well as the, the following season as well. Okay. That's a good breakdown. That's a good breakdown. Cause I, I had not considered that. Um, so yeah, a little better optics for the wings, maybe in, uh, maybe they're just eating that entire contract. Um, you, you actually texted me. You said, this is uh, bad for Indiana. Why did you say that? I, well, I, I guess we just kind of, disagree on a little bit. Like I think taking on a, a studio's contract for the next two seasons would be well worth taking in a high lottery pick or even five and seven combined for a team that has really not much else going for it. You know what I mean? Like in terms of short-term competitiveness, um, like they weren't willing to take on multiple first round picks and maybe Dallas just wasn't offering that. It, it would be surprising if they weren't, yeah. but I, I just, you know, I know, Catchings had the statement about, you know, never going to the lottery again and they want to compete and all that stuff. But I just think from kind of an asset management standpoint, you, you let one slip by you in terms of Dallas was in a bind. You, you probably could have extracted something pretty good out of them. Maybe you even get five, seven and their, their 2022 first or something like that. If you give something small back in return or, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what was available, but if I was Indiana, I would have, you know, played the asset game maybe a, a little bit differently than ended up playing out. Well, I, I don't disagree. And that's the thing. Like if I was Indiana, yeah, I'd be willing to take on that, that contract as well. If it meant more assets in this, in this draft, because you know, when, when I'm, when I'm doing these, these mocks, uh, I, when I come to Indiana, I'm like, well, are they going to go guard? Are they going to go wing? Because they need, they need both. You know, it'd be nice if they had more than one pick. So, but I, I'm guessing like if negotiations went like this, it was something like Dallas. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll offer you a stew and do and, uh, but for something else, but you have to, you know, I mean, you have, we'll offer, we want this, but you know, you have to take on a stew and do. And Indiana was like, okay, well give us the number one pick. And Dallas would be like, no. So Indiana said, okay, give us the number two pick. Dell said, no. And then the end, just hung up the phone. So that's just a guess, but yeah, certainly not the worst case scenario, but uh, at least Dallas can keep all those picks, right? And sign them. Which and is, sign them, you know, which is good. I I know you're, you know, 
the optics there a, a is little, just wow. A, lo- a little tongue in cheek there, but <laughs> I mean, it would have been worse if they couldn't afford all four. Absolutely, yeah, that would have um, been a mess. Uh, let, let's transition into some of our mailbag questions. We can start with friend of the show, Snap Wilson. Best landing spot for a stew. Um, anything come to mind for you? Uh, well, first things first. I don't think a stew is even going to be playing in the WNBA this season, which was probably a factor. I'll be honest. In, in Dallas, having to waive her rather than getting something in return, no one is going to want to pay almost twenty two hundred grand for a player who's not even going to show up. You know, because Spain is going to be participating in and hosting EuroBasket in June. Um, they've had a history of not really letting a student do play in the WNBA because of that. And they'll also be assuming the Olympics happen. They'll also be in the Olympics later this year. So I guess the realistic answer is ideal spot, not in the WNBA at all. But well, um, if that's the case, shouldn't Dallas have just held on to her and suspended her before the season? That's what I was thinking too. Like that might've been an option as well, but I, I don't know. Dallas does what Dallas wants. Right. But assuming that she would come over, I wouldn't mind seeing her back in Chicago because I mean, she's probably still better than Stephanie Mavunga. She's got some positional versatility. Like she's not, great at the five but she can play there in a pinch if you want and there's some familiarity there but that would also be difficult from a cap perspective I think Vegas could also work like if Liz Cambage doesn't come over um because they she could be that stretch big on the roster that desperately needs one you know unless you consider Hamby to be a stretch big I don't I think offensively she'd be a great fit next to Asia Wilson but again if Cambage does show up that would be pretty tough to swing even on a veteran contract you you had a destination in mind strongly, correct? Uh, well, it, it was strongly before I did, you know, one second's worth of uh, math and research on it. My first thought, you know, just kind of taking a look at the her hoop stats, salary, uh, like cap space and roster space available was Seattle. And then I was like, oh yeah, Sue Bird hasn't signed her contract yet. Yeah. <laughs> so Seattle, uh, probably not in the cards. They, they would probably need like two of their three international players to not come over and then you know, wave talk and, and maybe not roster their first round pick as well. So that's kind of a lot to ask. You know, it's it's pretty crazy. Like they probably won't wave, like can't wave Epiphany Prince. Like you think about their roster construction and how much they actually need Prince if Sue Bird is going to be on, you know, some sort of like rest management plan and, and planning mm-hmm. on sitting on sitting out a few regular season games. And, you know, maybe I'm just kind of too assuredly like including Steph Talbot in all my calculations for them. Like she is on just a training camp contract and and now they do have some other options at the three, I, I guess, but you know, even if they wave tuck and all three of their international players come over, like it's probably not really in the cards for them. Like New York, I was thinking about a little bit, but if Rebecca Allen comes back, you know, maybe if both Marine and Durr are not playing this season, you know, they move on from Hanzu. Maybe that's kind of in the cards, but I, I would imagine like a stew is just probably not going to still be out there by the time New York figures all that out. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's kind of a lot to, a lot of moving pieces there. Washington, I thought was one, maybe if, if they want to play with 11, they can kind of give cloud the lower max and, and wave McCall uh, and they'd still have about 71. So for a stew, I put in my notes to recheck that math. I never did, so apologize if that's <laughs> not correct. Um, Phoenix, I thought would be a, a good one. Maybe if they decide that she's uh, a better yeah. option for them than Kia Vaughn, I, I think that would be a reasonable conclusion for them to come to, whether I, I really agree with it or not. But I, I don't think they'll feel that way. You know, Kia Vaughn was in the system last year, and, and a stew did have such a down year. But that's definitely an option. And then the other one I had was uh, Chicago as well, if, if she takes Mavunga's spot at the minimum. The thing about Chicago is like you're already doing some some cap uh, gymnastics there because you want to roster at least one rookie, and you got you're considering Brittany Boyd on a training camp contract. You're considering Stephanie Mavunga for the vet minimum. So yeah, it's it's tough, man. Like there's just not enough spots to go around, especially for a player who may or may not be competing this year. So moving on. The, the other one uh, I was just gonna say is like um, Atlanta <laughs> probably has some room if they move on from Billings a year early. But like oh yeah, I mean if Atlanta signed a stew for the vet minimum instead of just taking on her full salary with some draft picks, that would just be an insane decision. But uh, yeah, we, we can move on now. Sorry about that. Okay, no, it's cool. It's cool. Um, Max Levy at Max Scouts asks, why do people believe star players want to play for the Dallas Wings and are willing to force trades to get there, i.e. NECA, when all the evidence in the world says that no stars would want to be there right now? And otherwise, the Wings probably don't have the assets to pick them up, i.e. Griner. Well, thanks for the question, Max. First of all, I disagree that the Wings don't have the assets to trade for them, but maybe like 
other teams would probably want Satu Sabali in return. And I think that would be just be a huge hang up for Dallas. And also I think the discussion about the wings getting a, a star player or forcing a trade, it's less about forcing a trade and more about the wings just offering up a package that someone else can't refuse. Cause to me that, that was, it, I think Dallas kind of wanted to do that. That was pretty clearly the plan in hoarding all those draft picks, but man, as time goes on, it's looking less and less likely that something big is going to happen because as we said, they haven't been, they were unsuccessful in packaging a pick with, to get rid of Astu's entire contract. And I feel kind of bad because Astu and Du is still a pretty good player, but you know, when you sign these big contracts, that's what happens. That's, that's where the narrative goes, but they're not able to unload that whole contract and they still haven't been able to really acquire a superstar. So any rumblings about that, this may have started weeks ago, they're kind of dying down. You know, I mean, the draft is coming up this, you got to make a decision on that. So it's not looking likely. It's not looking likely. Yeah, I I disagree, I think, with both premises of this two-part question. Uh, no offense, Max. Thank you for submitting the question. It's a good question. Uh, I've I've never really heard people talk about players forcing their way to the wings. Like, it's more just kind of the wings being in a position to trade for stars who are maybe just ready to move on from their current situation. And then, secondly, like, I do think Dallas has the assets to go for a Griner trade. And I think a Griner deal would make some sense for both sides if – if Phoenix believes that their offense should be driven more by their terrific guard play than a back-to-the-basket low-post option, and if I can go on a quick aside, and, and sorry sure. um, to, to kind of go on this tangent here, and it doesn't really have to, too much to do with Max's question, but something that's been kind of frustrating me is like every time the possibility of Phoenix trading Griner gets brought up, like the, the response seems to be, well, they're not going to blow it up and try and rebuild now. Like they're not going to go for a youth movement now. Like it's not blowing it up if Phoenix looks at their current roster, looks at the performance of Skylar Diggins Smith and Diana Taurasi last year and the improvement in Bree Turner and how the team turned around last season with once Griner left and thinks that their offense should be driven more by Taurasi and Diggins Smith who both posted like tremendous offensive seasons, you know, 625 true shooting for each of them last year and that they have a higher championship likelihood if they open things up with those players, those two outstanding guards by bringing in some like really good wing talent, letting Turner take over as, you know, a, a lower usage center, a more defensive minded center, and maybe surrounding this team with Kayla Thornton, Alicia Gray, maybe one of Dallas's top two picks just as a long-term kind of play. Like, that doesn't mean just because you're giving up a star, you're blowing it up. It just means you're adjusting your style and handing the defensive responsibilities over to somebody else and playing with a different philosophy offensively. I think that could make a lot of sense without Phoenix thinking, well, Griner's ready to move on. We should blow it up. You know what I mean? Like, I think if you extract those veterans from Dallas who play very premium positions and, and you already have kind of your potential center option in place along with a pretty solid backup center. Like that makes sense to me. Like th this idea, like, Oh, they would never trade Griner. They're not trying to rebuild. Like that roadmap to me does not sound like you're like rebuilding. That still seems like maximizing Tarasi's window in, in my opinion. Um, Very well said. Sorry to, <laughs> to go off on that, but, uh, but the, the Dallas getting a start stuff to me is more about like the situations that other players are in. Like obviously certain star players have not been happy in Los Angeles. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation that Griner's, time in Phoenix is, um, you know, coming to an end. I think the NECA stuff has kind of calmed down now that Shanae has resigned and, you know, both the Agumakes and Griner are both from the Dallas area. Anytime a player might be kind of one foot out the door, like obviously the natural speculation destination would be, you know, their, their right. quote unquote home market or whatever. But yeah, I don't think players are just forcing their way to, to Dallas or anything like that. And to your point about Phoenix potentially quote unquote blowing it up, are they even in contention anyway? You know, I mean, I mean, looking at the scope of the league, I, I think you still could get, you, you still could be in as much of a contender now if you extract, as you say, good enough players and good enough assets from whoever you trade Brittany Griner to. I mean, like, like you said, there was, they played better without her last year. That's, that's just a fact. And with her, I'm not sure if this team has what it takes to win a title. So... And you're playing a very particular style, right? Like right. you are dumping it down. And, and I don't think that style is necessarily going to maximize Skylar Diggins-Smith to just play from the low post. And mm -hmm. I mean, Griner's an, an offensive force. Like she's one of the best offensive players in the league. There's no doubt about that. She has an undeniability about her, but that doesn't mean like Phoenix is always necessarily maximizing their championship window by having her on the roster. That's a good point. 
Okay, uh, moving on. Uh, Bobby the Burger at R. Lawrence M. He's, uh, I think he uh, kind of piggybacked off Max's question and he says, and working with this premise, which I agree with more or less, how can Dallas consolidate their assets? Okay, well, this was submitted before uh, a student who was um, waived slash bought out. But anyway, I, I, I came up with three possible avenues. One, use at least one of those picks on an international player and stash her for, for the future. So uh, Awak Queer was from Finland is, has been dropped, rightfully so, as a top two pick. Ileana Rupert from France, perhaps a, uh, a, a, contender, a contender for that fifth or seventh overall pick. Shyla Hill from Australia, perhaps. Um, Australian players tend to have more frequent international commitments, which might kind of hurt her draft stock a little bit. But for most accounts down there, she's a very talented player as well and will probably be drafted somewhere in the second round, perhaps. I'm just, just spitballing there. So if you use one in an international player, at least one pick, then you can just, as you said, not, ro- not roster that player for this season. Second approach would be to package at least one of those picks alongside a, another bad contract to, take, to incentivize another team to take them. So I'm talking about either Mariah Jefferson or Isabel Harrison, neither of which neither of whose contracts are as bad, quote-unquote, as the Stu and Do's, but, I mean, there's still probably contracts that Dallas would like to get off the books, right? Um, again, guessing they were not able to do, to do this with Do, but I don't know about the other players. And the third would be just to kick the can down the road and swap one or more, one or more of those picks for a 2022 pick. That way you're not at risk of being unable to sign all of those players from 2021, and in 2022 you have a, a stronger draft class by most accounts. So, those are three possibilities I came up with for Dallas consolidating their assets. Is there anything else you had about that? Not really. Before the, the stew buyout, I was you know, definitely thinking that Dallas would maybe want to use two of their firsts on, on draft and stash players. And honestly, maybe that's still not the worst idea in the world if those are the players that Dallas evaluates as you know, the best players or in the same neighborhood as the best players for, for the spots they'll be selecting. I know you had repair, what, nine in your latest mock draft. So maybe Dallas reaches for her a little bit at, at seven and, and goes with her yeah. uh, and queer for one of those top two spots. And both of those players stay overseas. And, you know, if that's the case, you can still add two top five picks into your rotation, right? The other top two, and then your, your number five pick and perhaps let those younger rookies, right. Uh, or, or draft picks, I guess, because those are both players that are right now, 19 years old, uh, bring in your, your two rookies that are maybe a little bit more ready in terms of a, an age and, development perspective and kind of replace those um, a Stu Gustafson, Katie Lou spots on the roster. So that's still a path I would strongly, strongly consider if I'm Dallas. And um, the other thing is, you know, we mentioned on the last show that things from a a cap perspective are looking a little bit tighter in in 2022 than for Dallas. And they even are this season. So uh, now if they wave one of those protected veterans, you know, let's say they, they aren't able to kind of package uh, a draft pick with Harrison or Jefferson. If, if they waive one of those players after this season and completely eat that contract and, and one of those players don't give up any money, they can afford to have all four of these first round picks on the roster next season. If the potential draft and stash players come over after kind of this one additional year overseas. So yeah, uh, I mean, a still leaving money on the table for Dallas, I think really makes life easier for them. Uh, and maybe they don't have to consolidate anything, um, which I think is probably the, where I would be at this point, you know, I think a stew just kind of leaving that, that 80 K on the table for them opens it up enough to where I'm not, you know, panicking anymore. Uh, moving on M at the middler one uh, asks a uh, three parter here, including hypothetical trades and draft picks. What does an ideal Dallas rotation look like? Including hypothetical trades and draft picks. What does an ideal New York rotation look like? No Odom slander, please. And then other than not Indiana, of course, why, why, of course? Who are you hoping wins the Ryan Howard sweepstakes? All right, so for Dallas, uh, that's that's tough because they have so many draft picks, and we're assuming that, once again, draft picks are going to be a significant part of their roster. But I think you can probably pencil in Ty Harris, Tariqa Gunbowale, and Marina Mabry in the backcourt. I think Alicia Gray is probably better suited as a wing, right? I would say so, but if you're going with some, you know, maybe an Enrique at point lineup for some stretches, I think Gray could slide up to the two a little bit. He could, yeah, okay. Um, front court, obviously, including Saitu Sabali, Bella Allery, and I'm guessing, I'm just, I'm just going to say probably Isabel Harrison. I don't think they're going to be able to trade her. Um, they're obviously going to be drafting another center, whether it be Charlie Collier, Owek Queer, Natasha Mack, 
maybe even two, drafting two centers. I don't think Mariah Jefferson really needs to play. As of now, like, there's a lot of – there are a lot of combo guards on this team. You, you could consider Ogunbowale, Marina Mabry. You consider Alicia Gray a two or a three. So you've got some positional versatility there. I don't think – like, you could, you could slide players to and from the, the guard and wing positions there. So, I, I don't know. It's – where do you – Stephen, where do you put Kayla Thornton here? Because they just signed her to an extension. I mean, she was firmly in my, my top eight. I think I had uh, Arike, Gray, Sabley, Thornton, Harris, Mabry, Allery, and one of their top two picks. That's who I kind of imagined their top eight would be. Harrison would probably be like the pure backup center for when they, they don't want to play kind of smaller with Sabley at the five like they did for uh, some stretches last year. You know, who knows how much they want to do that. Maybe maybe they do still want to play Sabley at the, the five, but it's obviously a different coaching regime. Um, mm-hmm. So Thornton would definitely be in there for me. And then, you know, maybe your last uh, uh, one of your other rookies is kind of in that 10th spot. But those are kind of the nine that I imagine are, are going to get some pretty significant minutes. Okay. Um, how about New York's rotation? Because if we're thinking ideally, that would include both Maureen Johannes and Rebecca Allen. So... Backcourt would include UNESCO, Clarendon, Johannes. Hopefully, Asia Durr can be healthy. You know, she's she mentioned herself being a, a COVID nineteen long termer, which or long hauler, which really sucks. Really hoping she can she gets healthy. But um, if she can't go, you know, Sammy Whitcomb obviously going to be a part of that. But that front court is going to be looking a lot. It's going to have a lot of question marks in it. You know, they've got Natasha Howard, obviously Kia Stokes, um, but Nigel Laney at the four seems inevitable, Stephen. At least for me. I mean, I, I hope so. I, I don't know how much they'll do that. Uh, maybe more so if, if Allen doesn't come over. But, I mean, if they have everybody, uh, Sabrina, Maureen, Laney, Howard, Stokes, I imagine that'll be their starting five. Clarendon, Rebecca Allen, and Sammy Whitcomb, I imagine that'll round out their top eight. I think they're going to want to play Jocelyn Willoughby some significant minutes. It's hard for me to see Willoughby cracking any of the players above in the rotation, though. Yeah. The number six pick might play some minutes in the regular season. I was trying to figure out, like, how does Jasmine Jones really figure into this if, if everyone comes over? Maybe everyone doesn't come over. Maybe, you know, Maureen doesn't come over and, and Witt comes the starting two and Jasmine Jones can be kind of the, the, the third guard or maybe Jones usurps Clarendon in the rotation. I, I don't imagine that would happen, but I, I guess it's possible with kind of Jones' defensive playmaking and her individual scoring ability. So those are the players I imagine will figure prominently into it. I don't really see Kylie Shook as much more than like the third big on this team if if she makes a team, you know, Odom. I, I don't really see her getting much more than, than spot minutes as much as I love her potential. Any d- disagreements or additional thoughts on that? No disagreements. I, I think at, at, at number six, their they're, they're current first round draft pick, I think they really need to pick a, a forward or a center, you know, if I'm if I'm there, I'm looking at Natasha Mack heavily, uh, or someone like uh, Walker from Alabama at number six. She's like a a tweener forward, a combo forward who can really spot up and really shoot the ball. That that'd be great for their system. But like I said, like I said before, Benajelani at the four seems inevitable because they have so many guards that figure to be in their future plans. Even if you know, even if Asia Durr for some reason isn't healthy, or even if Sammy Whitcomb can't play this year or even if you know, Rebecca Allen can't play this year you're still looking at more guards and bigs that's and I know they want to play small but at some point you gotta you gotta call it and say okay we need we need some front court depth there but um and the third part of that question uh who are you hoping wins the Ryan Howard sweepstakes I don't know I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping I'm hoping Chicago isn't that bad that they'll be in the Ryan Howard sweepstakes but this is. I'm going to take this question. I'll, I'll propose a counter question. Who are the four lottery teams right now? Because we're assuming Indiana. Dallas is probably still a year away from contention. Who else? Atlanta, maybe? I could see. I guess Indiana is the one that I really pencil in. Dallas, I, I could see them making the playoffs. Yeah, me too. Uh, Atlanta's probably, in my opinion, the second most likely team to not make the playoffs. And then I guess you're thinking about, okay, anyone between Connecticut, Dallas, Los Angeles, New York. You know, New York might still be another year away, especially, you know, if some of their players don't come over. Phoenix always has some, I guess, 
uh, high disaster potential. You know, the worst case scenario of, of Seattle, I guess they, they don't make the playoffs, but I, I find that pretty hard to believe. So, you know, New York, LA, Connecticut, Dallas, Atlanta, I guess, are all kind of fighting for those last four spots okay. or the last three spots with, with Indiana, I guess. Okay. Because, like, I'm not, I'm not rooting for anybody to get the number one over. Like, I don't really care. Uh, I, I think it'd be fun to see a, a play like Reinhardt in New York because she is a, she's a pure wing. She's really athletic. She's, she's, she's a really strong finisher. Um, she's a two-way player. And it would it'd fit, it'd be a cool fit, you know, having her alongside Sabrina Unescu and, and Natasha Howard and, and Ben Nigelini. That'd be a really fun young team with a lot of potential and a lot of, a lot of wow potential, a lot of wow factor, you know? So, I don't know. It's, it's, still, it's still a ways away, but uh, those are my thoughts on that. Moving on, Kayla Dose asks, what's a realistic ceiling for the Sun team with no AT? I don't think anyone expected them to have the success they did last year with no JJ. That's true. But this season will, of course, be different with more teams at full strength. Okay, so for this, I just kind of did process of elimination. I was like, okay, who's definitely looks better right now? Vegas, Washington, Seattle, Chicago, Minnesota. Maybe. I think Connecticut right now is on the same level as like a Phoenix or an LA as one of the last couple teams in. I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of knife fight their way into the second round or something like that again. But I don't know, Stephen. Without without Alyssa Thomas and with the rest of the team, with, with the rest of the league loading up again, I it just gets so more difficult, you know. Yeah, that that's funny. I usually share my notes with you, but I did not this week, and I did the same thing. I processed oh, okay. it. I said, "Who is definitely better?" Uh, I had Chicago, Minnesota, Vegas, Washington. Who's probably better? Phoenix and Seattle. Who is definitely worse? I had Indiana and Atlanta, and then so I think they're kind of in the same neighborhood as. Dallas, LA, and, and New York, kind of depending on where those teams shake out. You know, there's a lot of variability with, with all those teams. So if everything goes well for them, I can, if they play with a more modern style with Bonner at the four and John Quell at the five and Bree Jones is just kind of like a, a backup big and, and one of their other wings emerges to be like a legit kind of starting fifth starter type player, uh, maybe that's Kyla Charles. And if, you know, one of their training camp contracts proves to be a pretty valuable rotation player, maybe that's Kamaya Smalls. She seems to have the most kind of shooting potential, at least. Uh, and Heidemann has shown some from behind the arc as well. And, you know, they get good health from their veteran backcourt. And Brian January goes back to, you know, being able to make some shots. I could see them maybe having a little bit better of a regular season than they did last year. Maybe getting as high as the sixth seed if, you know, Phoenix disappoints in the regular season. They just kind of coast through it you know, maybe they can win their first round game against, you know, a young team who made the playoffs for the first time, you know, like a Dallas or New York before getting kind of completely smoked by a real team in the second round. So to me, that's kind of their absolute upside, maybe getting th- that six seed winning against, you know, the the seven seed in, in your first round. Uh, wouldn't bet on it. I, I think it would require some of the other teams in the neighborhood I was talking about, you know, New York, LA, one of Phoenix, or Seattle to kind of disappoint in the regular season. I'm, I'm not sure how likely that is, but yeah, I, I think this team does maybe like th- there's ways that this could be more interesting than last year, but I, I just see the most likely path is that they're going to be worse than last year. I agree. I think we're used to see Connecticut exceeding expectations, but I think so much of that has to do with Alyssa Thomas. You know, John Paul Jones is a, is a tremendous player, obviously, but Alyssa Thomas, the way she is able to really put a team on her back like that, on both ends of the court, you know, and with the other teams getting better, like we said, I think there's a possibility that they maybe usurp one of the teams that we mentioned as being better, but everything you just said, I mean, that's, that's a huge call. That's a lot of ifs. That's a huge qualifier. So I'm going to say no higher than sixth. Yeah. And the thing is, is like, there's still so little path for them to be an effective half court offense. And we know they're going to take a nosedive in transition offense. So like, where, where does it come from? And uh, but one other thing I wanted to say is like we have talked a lot about how John Quell is not the great fit with Bree Jones and stuff like that. But JJ and Bonner could be a much better fit than than Alyssa Thomas and Bonner. You know, if if Bonner is playing the four and and Jones is playing the five rather than you know Bonner at the three and Thomas at the four and Bree Jones at the five. But I think the Bonner JJ Bree Jones combination is an even worse fit together than with Alyssa Thomas there instead of JJ even with JJ shooting. So I think this is something where, you know, I think a longer regular season would really help the sun kind of figure out what was going to work and not work, but obviously the WMA regular season's a sprint. That's true. That's true. Uh, okay. So moving on, 
The Sky Show Shy, uh, another good friend of the show, asks a two-parter. Who do you think is the most surefire 2021 WNBA prospect that makes a quality impact in the W, regardless of which team drafts her? And then the second part, early prediction on what the Sparks' final roster will look like. Okay, so for the draft prospect that makes a quality impact, um, I kind of separated this into like two little realms. I I think making an impact immediately, I went with Arella Garantes from Rutgers because I think her skill set is clearly defined. And players of her archetype, which is a wing scorer, typically don't have a learning curve as steep as point guards or rim runners. So I think she'll be able to just go into basically whatever scenario and, and, and just cook. But Long-term, I think people like Charlie Collier or Wack Queer are just too talented to not make the biggest impacts. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe someone like Renaya Davis comes in and it really, really surprises and is a better pro than a collegiate player. But that's my opinion on that. And then as far as a Sparks prediction, Stephen, I had, let's see, I had a handful of players as locks, like Erica Wheeler, Taya Cooper, Christy Tolliver, Brittany Sykes. I'm going to say Simone Augustus makes this team just because of what she did last year. And I don't think there's anybody competing with her that can really take that spot. Both of Zowie B, Christina Nigue, perhaps Maria Vadiva. If she comes over, I think she will. And that leaves him room for their number 10 draft pick. I think TRP will end up being waived in order to save some money. And like Bria Holmes and Sydney Weiss can compete for a spot. But the problem is there are ways for this team to carry 12 players but they'd have to cut a lot of veteran money and roster two draft picks. So what you alluded to earlier in the show, like uh, Ben Dahl's point about, you know, keeping, keeping on rookie contracts just because they're cheaper. So you could have an extra body in there as a part, as, as opposed to veterans. We might see that in play here. Yeah, unfortunately we might. And my, I guess what I had kind of sketched out for this team was, NECA and Shanae, Tolliver and Wheeler, and Brittany Sykes. Obviously, we expect that to be the the starting group. Uh, I agree that Augustus will make the team. I agree Cooper is, you know, almost a lock to make the team. I had Zowie B, obviously, is on a, a veteran contract, and I had Sydney Weiss as kind of my other lock. I, I do think that they really like what she does, and I also really like what she does, and I think for them to prioritize some of these other players in consideration over Sydney Weiss would be a mistake. Um, so then you factor in their first-round pick, and then I – I kind of feel like, you know, like if if Adiva's coming over, then then that changes some things. But I I am not very confident in that. You know, with all the international, this is going to be one of the busier kind of international summers in, in terms of basketball. So so I had it coming down to one of Holmes and TRP for that last spot. And I think you know financially they might just end up going with less expensive option, which is Holmes. She makes considerably less money than TRP to kind of make sure that they have room for you know everyone else. Okay. All right. Um, final question, Crystal Megan, uh, really dope video, video content creator, by the way. So shout out to her. Who's going to be the sky's backup point guard. Like that's more of a prediction than a, than a, an actual analysis, but I think, uh, I think it's going to go to a draft pick. I think it's going to go to a draft pick. I think, uh, Ari McDonald is, is if she falls, I think that's, that's a reasonable pick or perhaps somebody like if, if they go best player available in the first round, then they could kind of draft for need in the second round and go with someone like uh, Keanu Williams from Stanford, maybe Tiana Mangakahia from Syracuse, something like that. I, I don't think it's uh, like Brittany Boyd. I mean, if Brittany Boyd makes the team, the problem is you need to cut the other veteran, veteran money and Stephanie Mavunga. And I don't think that's so clear cut. Like, I don't think Brittany Boyd is so much better, at least right now than anybody that can possibly draft a number eight. So that's just my prediction. I, I, it's obviously a lot of things are still in flux. We're not sure what they're going to do with Steph Dolson. We're not sure what they're going to do with that second round pick that they acquired. I assume there's going to be, you know, they acquired it for some reason, but we'll see. I know. Do, do you have an opinion on that? Or? Well, one thing I just kind of wanted to talk about briefly was we, we talked a little bit, maybe it was last week, maybe it was a week before about Candace Parker and Steph Dolson, like playing together on second units with Sloot out to kind of make up the lack of real offensive effectiveness from the point guard position maybe that's you know something they really only do in in the playoffs when you kind of have to shorten your rotation a little bit and when Slute is out they can go with something like I don't know like Parker Dolson and their three small forwards like DeShields, Copper, and Gabby Williams you know you kind of have a little bit of it kind of making up in all those spots if if the other team's starting point guard is, is out and they're not you know so dynamic at the backup spot or you know maybe even if it's like 
a Vegas and Chelsea Gray as the point guard. And, you know, obviously we've talked a lot about how Chelsea Gray has been getting kind of defended by threes primarily with the exception of, you know, Natasha Cloud and Jasmine Thomas are really the only point guards that kind of guard her still. So I think maybe situationally you can go with something like that. And and otherwise you are really hurting. Um, But, but what what do you think about kind of playing those two bigs and and maybe an all wing lineup to kind of make up for really having an actual point guard on the lineup? That'd be really cool. Honestly, that, that's something I'd really look forward to. That's when we talked about Candace Parker being on the team. One of the things we talked about is the ability to the luxury rather of having another playmaker, another elite playmaker, especially for her position in the lineup there. And if both she and Dolson are playing together, you have just a, a ton of passing and screening ability there. Um, I think you do need like an actual, I, I don't like putting players in boxes like this, but quote unquote, pure point guard on the team. Because then, you know, what if, what if like, knock on wood, Vandersloot does get injured or something like that? Then you're really scrambling. Especially so, for the regular season. Yeah, yeah, you know. So, as, as much as I – I guess, like, point Gabby, you know, they, they, they tried it a couple seasons ago, wasn't a smashing hit. They might be able to do something like that because she can create for others. She's actually a really good passer. But as a point guard, I, I don't really think she's, she's suited there. So, I, I think they do need at least another pure or real or true, whatever you want to call it, point guard. Um, but but point, could... point Gabby as a defensive option makes a lot more sense. Oh, absolutely. You can play like Candace Parker and Dolson together who, you know, Candace Parker obviously handles in a way that Dolson doesn't, but Dolson is a, a terrific passer in her own right. Yeah. You, you, you would have enough playmaking there, at least in the half court offense, but you'd have to, you'd have to do a lot of, a lot of weird things there. So while I think that opportunity, that, while I think such a possibility would be cool, I'd rather play it safe. And, and that's not saying, that's not saying that, that, that lineup, isn't still a, isn't like a legit possibility. I just think you need to carry. An no, you definitely player. still want to roster a point guard. For yeah, sure. yeah. You you can't you can't be you can't go into into your roster construction and say yes, we are banking on Candace Parker being the team's backup de facto point guard. That's that's kind of weird. So sure, but I, I was thinking I kind of took this question more from like uh, uh, and I don't think the question asker intended it this way but you know from you know you're getting on to kind of like the deepest levels of the playoffs obviously Chicago now has kind of championship aspirations like Mm -hmm. I don't think Brittany Boyd or the number eight pick are going to be playing in the WNBA finals or or semifinals if this team makes it there that's a good point that's a very good point I am hoping that they do but we'll see what happens okay that's all for the mailbag thank you so much for everyone who submitted questions we really had a had a good time answering them um we enjoyed switching up a little bit, getting some uh, listener engagement there. Maybe we'll do this again in the future. Maybe not. We'll see what happens. But in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. As always, please uh, subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Play. We're on Spotify. So if you want to subscribe, leave a review, make a, a nice little comment, that'd be awesome. Um, follow us on Twitter at Double Down WNBA or our personal accounts at Nemchak E or at Trinkwald. Uh, Steven, anything you'd like to add? This was really fun. Thank you for those who submitted questions and thank you for those who didn't submit questions, but still listen to the show. (laughs) That too. We we love all our listeners. So thank you so much, everybody. Uh, Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll catch you next week.